everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to this year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rookrout. And today we will be doing our next episode in the Oscar Contender series, talking about a few more categories. Today we'll be going through the nominees for Best Production Design, Best Visual Effects, Best Cinematography, and Best Film Editing. These are some of my favorite technical below-the-line categories, so I'm excited to talk about them. And I know Best Cinematography is your favorite category overall, so we'll definitely Mm -hmm. talk about that more when we get to that one. We'll follow a similar structure that we did last time where we will go through the nominees, share some fun facts and trivia. We'll each give our write-in nominee, who we think should win and who we think will win. And in those write-in options i had so many it was so hard narrowing them down do you have a favorite category my favorite category overall is best actress so we'll get to that very (laughs) soon but i think of these today i really love best cinematography i think that that's really the category that Mm -hmm. i think when i think back on the films that i love so many of them it's like single shots in my mind when I think of those films and that's all due to the cinematographer I think all of these categories though are really unique and interesting ones to talk about I agree so let's get started with best production design so if you're confused about the category this used to also be called best art direction and they changed names in 2012 So as we go through these nominees, we'll also be mentioning whether or not they have guild nominations. The two guilds here that we'll be talking about are the Art Directors Guild and the Set Decorator Society of America. When you're nominated for Best Production Design, the nominees are actually a production designer and then set decorators. So a production designer is someone who has like the full collective vision, they're the ones who are planning everything, working with the director, and then you think of the set decorator as the person who is picking the props and what mm-hmm. it's going to look like on more of the granular level. But obviously, they're both nominated here because production design is this visual team effort. So our nominees here are The Father, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mink, News of the World, and Tenet. A good collection of nominees... So starting with The Father, The Father actually didn't receive any Guild nominations. This was kind of an unexpected surprise with the nominations. I think we both thought that it might be possible, but I think, you know, its appearance here without the Guild appearances, that shows Mm -hmm. that the Academy really likes this movie. And our production designer is Peter Francis. This is his first nomination, but he's worked on Titanic before. He's done three James Bond movies. He did the first two Harry Potter movies. So definitely a lot of experience. And then Kathy Featherstone is the set decorator who's nominated. So I actually started rewatching The Father this morning and again was just totally consumed by the production and the acting and Mm -hmm. This is one I know that I had predicted to get in despite not having any nominations with the Guild, which is kind of surprising because when I first watched it, the production design, the set decoration specifically, those are the things that stood out to me because Mm -hmm. they're so minute and their changes are so integral to the story. So I really like this one being here. I do too. And I know people listening maybe haven't seen The Father because it's very hard to find The Father to watch. It's available now on VOD. 
I was just going to say, I saw it on Aventive this morning. It's another cursed Sony Pictures release. It's out in theaters too, I think. In this article I read in IndieWire, Peter Francis, he said, We're inside Anthony's head virtually the whole time. We weren't just designing backgrounds. It was more about choosing the right elements to be part of the story. So I think that this really connects with another thing that I read that he said, which I thought was really cool, which was that he was really inspired by Roman Polanski's movie Repulsion, which is amazing i watched it for the first time in 2020 like in quarantine and it uses this one singular location to really evoke this main character's descent into madness i love that they use that as inspiration here um, and if you haven't mm-hmm. seen that one that's also a good one to watch I haven't. it's really cool we'll talk more about the father too and its relations maybe to horror films later on in another category so next up is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which got one nomination in each guild in the period feature film category. None of the collaborators have been nominated before. So that goes for Mark Ricker, who's the production designer, and then Karen O'Hara and Diana Stoughton, who are the set decorators. In Netflix's press materials, there's a huge feature of documents for the production design for Ma Rainey's. Mm-hmm. And... When you see the movie, you know it's kind of this one location film, Mm -hmm. but the amount of prep and design that went into it is amazing when you look through all these documents, because this to me is pretty standard. Nothing jumps out at me, so it is cool to see every small detail that goes into a feature and the planning of the location. Yeah, I think so too, and I think learning about little details in the production that was interesting for me so the set decorator apparently found someone in LA who could recreate this type of like machinery like the recording equipment and they like brought original Ma Rainey recordings with these pieces Mm -hmm. to set um to just kind of inspire the cast so I love little stories like that I think that the thing with this one and it's a really intricate set and I like how it's used But I think that the performances are just the showcase of the film that Mm -hmm. you almost don't notice the production design when you're watching it in comparison, I think, to some of the other nominees, just because it is such an actor and performance and script driven movie. Right. And like we talked about on the last episode, the costumes are really important. Mm -hmm. The sound is really important as well. So there are so many components that maybe I don't think back on individually, But collectively, they do work. And maybe that speaks to how well everything comes together because you're not noticing certain elements. Our next nominee that we have is Mank. It received two Guild nominations, both with art directors and with set decorators. And Donald Graham Burt is the production designer. He has one nomination and one win for Benjamin Button. And he's worked with David Fincher since Zodiac. And then Jan Pascal was the set decorator, and she has one previous nomination for Good Night and Good Luck. What did you think of the Mank production design? I think the design here is incredible. Mm -hmm. There are so many locations. They are on location. They're on the studio. And yes, David Fincher uses CG to some extent, but every single prop, there are just so many. We mentioned the dinner scene last week. Uh That alone is 
so magnificent to watch. But then you mm-hmm. talk about the writer's room and being on set and actually being on the studio and having it look like it used to back in the day. Yeah, We could talk about every scene. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. I'm about to point out a couple because I just, I really do love the production design. And Donald Graham Burt, the production designer, he seems just like the kindest man. I watched a couple of YouTube videos with him in them. One was through Flickering Myth. The guy who was interviewing him seemed like a really big Fincher fan. He talks a lot about how, you know, they couldn't shoot on location at San Simeon. So they recreated it on these sound stages and... He talked about how they didn't really want to recreate the world. They wanted to emulate the world. Fincher had an idea and so did Bert, you know, in their heads of what they wanted this to look like. And one thing that I thought was so interesting that I did not know was that the dining room at Hearst Castle. So this is like actual fact, not Mank related or not Mank based, but mm-hmm. William Randolph Hearst the dining room itself is this monastery that Hearst purchased in Southern Spain and he had it disassembled and shipped back to him. And then he had it reconstructed there like on his compound. So just complete opulence. Bert and Fincher wanted to make sure that they had this amalgamation of different architectural styles. So you have Gothic, you have, Spanish revival and everything is just very over the top and ornate. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really neat. I when I read that in an article, this one was through Variety. So so interesting. And then one more things. The scene where William Randolph Hearst is confronting Mank after his drunken tirade at the dinner. They walk down like a long mm-hmm. mirrored hallway and Bert constructed that based on the Hall of Mirrors and Citizen Kane. Yeah, there are a lot of parallels with Citizen Kane, which, again, I think is why viewing that movie also helped. Mm -hmm. And you can see between them, there are a lot of similarities. Next is News of the World, which, again, had one of each Guild nominations for period feature. So both David Crank, the production designer, and Elizabeth Keenan, the set decorator, have no prior nominations This one to me would have been my fifth spot. So how did you feel about the production design here? One thing that I did read was that they recreated six cities and then invented another one. And what they did to make you feel like you were in separate cities within one actual shooting location, they would turn over the set every week. (laughs) So that they would have this new set that they would shoot in. So they would like repaint it, Mm -hmm. um, shoot it in different angles. And that was kind of how they were a little bit creative in Mm -hmm. making these sets. Because to me, I also feel like they're on the road a lot. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know if like the design of the big shootout scene with the placement of the rocks and where the characters are blocked, if that played a part in this nomination as well. I wonder if they could have just shot this on the range from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and just used (laughs) like different corners of that long drag to place all these different cities. I mean, you definitely could have, right? Like whether it was the scene with Leo or Spawn Ranch. Was that what you were thinking of? I don't remember the name. (laughs) (laughs) 
well, you are a normal person. You don't rewatch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood regularly, so. (laughs) (laughs) All right, our next nominee here is Tenet. It received both Guild nominations, so one Art Director's Guild nomination for Fantasy Film and then a Set Decorator Society Award for Sci-Fi. And Nathan Crowley, he was the production designer. This is his eighth movie with Christopher Nolan. I would love to hear about their working relationship. And he's been nominated five times. First Man in 2018 was his most recent. And then Kathy Lucas, she's the set decorator. And she has one other nomination also for First Man. So I bought the Tenet Blu-ray. I have it too. (laughs) I did it. And I watched the special features, which is like an hour-long documentary about Uh the making of and a lot of the cast and crew talking about their experience and some behind-the-scenes footage. And Nathan Crowley's in it, for sure. And it was just so spectacular to watch this. I was in awe the whole time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When I watched it, I first got so annoyed that they weren't nominated for the SAG Stunt Ensemble. Mm-hmm. watching John David Washington do the stunts and talking about how he like couldn't get out of bed one day because the workout was so intense. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. But I really like this production design. I watched a video on YouTube through Variety and the production designer was talking about how they really wanted to show the whole world was in danger. So they had to really shoot on multiple locations for this spy type of thriller and not on a soundstage. So they actually go Mm -hmm. to all of these locations. He was also talking about how when he's trying to get his bearings on what he's doing for these really imaginative Nolan films, he usually picks one piece of the set to really focus on first. And in Tenet, it was the turnstile. So he wanted to make sure he could build that out to really achieve Nolan's vision. I mean, we could talk about crashing an entire 747. That is definitely in production design. (laughs) Yes. I was like, where do we talk about that production design or visual effects? Because the 747 is real. I did not know that. (laughs) Incredible. And we'll get back to Tenet when we do talk about visual effects next. Mm -hmm. But the design, I think, was so amazing to me because they had computer models of everything that was happening because they Mm -hmm. had to make sure things going forward and backward matched up in time and also the characters and where they're placed. So they had digital designs and then they had actual models of the sets and they ran through things at so many different levels. It was just the planning must have been so chaotic. And I think a lot of the people on set cast and crew were like, what is happening? I can't imagine. Yeah. One of the fun things I saw also was the big black and yellow ship that they have in Tenet. Mm-hmm. Apparently, is it's black and yellow because Nolan has always wanted to use black and yellow sets in his films. He likes the way that the colors look together. If you remember from Dark mm-hmm. Knight Rises at the football game. But he's tried using it in so many other films and... His production designer always is like, no, we're we're not doing that. We're using something different. So he finally got his way again with this big ship here. And talking about the ship, they worked with like 120 boats, which again, sounds like such a disaster. And then there's a scene where they land a helicopter on the yacht and they talk about how the helicopter they use 
was too heavy to actually land onto the yacht. So they could like touch down barely, let everybody get off, and then the helicopter flew away. They couldn't use the yacht's helicopter because it was way too small. So even little (laughs) things like that, the logistics for this film are off the wall. I highly recommend watching this special feature. Nolan is always doing the most. I think like, we we know that by now, but it really is. Like when you watch these special features or honestly just search Tenet production on YouTube and there are so many, you know, interesting fan <laughs> theories and you can hear from the crew and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But we love Tenet and I'm fine <laughs> saying that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what would your write-in vote be? My write-in vote would actually be promising young woman. I really like how they use a lot of religious imagery in it. I know we talked about that on our episode, but I love just how it really, the props really inform us as viewers of Cassie as a character of her backstory of where she's headed. I love when she's Mm -hmm. sitting on the bed and her bed frame looks like she has angel wings. There's so many really cool touches. I think that they use in the set that really add to that. I love the pink and the blue. I think you can dive into color theory in this film and what it means when you see pink and blue, especially as those colors are traditionally tied to gender norms. So I think it's it's really interesting mm-hmm. and one of the most successful parts of the movie. And then what would your write-in vote be? So mine is one we talked about a long time ago on our horror VOD episode. It's Relic, which came back to me because... I thought of the final sequence where Uh they're trapped in this home in the walls and trying to get out. And I think that is just so well done. I was Mm -hmm. terrified. Yeah. And then once they do break through walls and get lost again, I think it's really well designed and shot Mm -hmm. to the point that you feel so claustrophobic as a viewer. Mm -hmm. And the whole scenery is pretty eerie. And I had a friend who actually worked on this shoot and I may have mentioned this before too but they had to totally recreate the house as they were doing reshoots I believe which sounds like such a mess that would be so stressful but I think the house itself every little part makes it a successful horror movie to me Mm -hmm. this is a good pick and then who do you think should win I really think Tenet should win I'm gonna go for it here (laughs) I think back to that final battle sequence and there are some visual effects, but there's a lot of stunt work and real explosions happening. And to have this done, IRL is such a feat. And I love rewatching this to imagine this actually happening. Who do you think should win? My choice here is obviously for me, Mank. I think the production (laughs) design is just glorious. I love it. And who do you think will win? I think this might be Mank's only Oscar win of the night. Mm -hmm. I think that this is its best chance. And when we're considering, I think, some of the other nominees in the group, which have really great work, this, I think, to me, is the standout. And sometimes it is just the most production design, which that's the case here, too. Yeah. What about you? I agree. And it's not that I don't think Mank should win. I... Like I said, really like this, and I think this is a great win. It is sad that I also agree that it might be its only win, which is crazy out of 10 nominations. Next up is Best Visual Effects. 
The nominees are Love and Monsters, The Midnight Sky, Mulan, The One and Only Ivan, and again, Tenet. And as we go through these two, we will let you know how many Guild nominations they have from the Visual Effects Society. So for Love and Monsters, it didn't have any Guild nominations. And then for its team, they're all first-time nominees. Matt Sloane, who's previously worked on The Martian. Genevieve Camilleri, who has worked on Mad Max Fury Road. And then some Marvel films, including Doctor Strange. Matt Everett who worked on X-Men Days of Future Past, Happy Feet, and the iconic Cats. (laughs) (laughs) And then Brian Cox, who worked on The Matrix and Moulin Rouge, which to me was an interesting nomination at the Guild. How did you feel about Love and Monsters? I watched Love and Monsters for the purpose of this episode, and I was actually really (laughs) impressed with the monsters. They were really cool. I thought that they looked really good and were really Mm -hmm. creepy. And the focus on them was just the right amount. And I think it was actually really good visual effects work. I really did like the monsters. What about you? I wanted more of them. I think if there were, maybe I would be considering this more Mm -hmm. of a contender, possibly winning the award. But I agree. The monsters were fully fleshed and pretty creepy to watch. The film, I think, is fine. The name is Love and Monsters, so you know what you're getting into. Yeah, nothing I would have watched otherwise. Right. So our next nominee that we have is The Midnight Sky, which had two Visual Effects Society nominations. So a little bit about the team here. Chris Lawrence, he actually won for Gravity, and he was nominated for The Martian and Christopher Robin. And then Matt Casimir, Dave Watkins, and Max Solomon have all never been nominated before. What did you think of the visual effects in The Midnight Sky? They reminded me too much of Gravity, and I think that's part of my issue with the movie. Also, some of the green screen work is super noticeable, which really took me out. But the scene where there's a big collision with the space station, Mm -hmm. I think is just very gravity and I was Mm -hmm. like I knew this was coming this is not shocking and the film itself is just not great Mm -hmm. so again nothing was really working for me here what are your thoughts on Midnight Sky so I don't love the film itself I think we've talked about that before space movies are challenging to make we know that and this branch really does love a space movie so yeah here it is So next up is Mulan, which had the most Guild nominations. It had three total. From the team, Anders Langlands was nominated for The Martian. And then the rest of the team, Sean Faden, Seth Maury, and Steve Ingram, these are their first-time nominations. More more Mulan talk. Mm -hmm. Ryan did not bring up visual effects in his prediction, (laughs) so we will not be replaying the clip. But yeah, another nomination for Mulan. I know that this was another surprise because when we were originally thinking about it, I don't think that this was one either of us predicted, but maybe we should have considering there are a lot of action sequences and Mm -hmm. opportunities to use visual effects on top of things like art decoration and set decoration, which I know is really complex in Mulan. Yeah, I think this could have been maybe like a six slot for production design too. Mm -hmm. Because they had, I think, a few Guild nominations there. The 
problem I have here is the one scene that I remember is again the final battle sequence where they're on these like wooden stilts mm-hmm. fighting over this lava pit and I was like, oh boy. I totally forgot about that. I mean, you do have the villain character turning into a hawk. Oh, right. Some kind of bird. So I I understand this. Just again, not my speed. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, we have the one and only Ivan, which received one Visual Effects Society Guild nomination. And the team here, Nick Davis, was nominated previously for The Dark Knight. And Greg Fisher, Ben Jones, and Santiago Colomo Martinez have all never been nominated before until now. What did you think of the one and only Ivan? I know you recently watched it too. Yeah. You were right. They do love animals. This got in. And the very first line in the movie comes from this talking gorilla. And I shrieked. I said, oh, no, (laughs) not this. Voiced by Sam Rockwell, no less. Yes. And then you realize who all of the animals are voiced by. And I don't think that helped. (laughs) It is a stacked cast, though, I will say. Mm Mm-hmm. Angelina Jolie plays an elephant named Stella. Is Danny DeVito the dog? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a movie made for kids. Definitely. So I think that's why this is on Disney+. Plus. And if you have children, this is a great movie. Great family night movie. I watched a featurette on the VFX. And, you know, seeing these animals come to life, showing how... They would use visual effects to add to the sets and how they would make these animals talk, I thought was really, really interesting. And it's Mm -hmm. definitely something we've seen in the category before, but I did think that it was good work despite the movie not being for me. And then our last nominee was Tenet. Andrew Jackson was previously nominated for Mad Max Fury Road. Andrew Lockley won for Inception and Interstellar. And then Scott Fisher also won for Interstellar. Mike Chambers, who is the fourth person on the team, hasn't been nominated before. So in terms of the visual effects and not the production design, how do you feel about it? So when I knew that another Nolan movie was coming out, visual effects were one of the first things that I thought of with the movie because his visual effects and his set pieces are usually the standouts. And Mm -hmm. I was really kind of shocked to learn that this movie is actually mostly practical effects it has according to nolan less visual effects than a rom-com which i thought was hilarious it has around 300 vfx shots where inception has around 600 for reference so it is significantly less than what he usually goes for in his films but that being said i think it's again really stunning visual effects work Yeah, again, with the featurette, they talk about how, like, John David Washington had to learn the fighting sequence four different ways, forward and backwards, which is Mm -hmm. insane. And then they reverse footage in some scenes. Again, a standout for me, and I really love going back to this and just seeing what they put into it. So what would your write-in vote be? I would write in Soul, which had five Visual Effects Society nominations, more than any of the nominees here. And I think what you discussed previously in a few podcasts about the work here and 
the design they put into the animation, which is a part of the visual effects, I think that's really fascinating, especially for an animated feature. What about you? What would you write in? So I love Soul as a pick, and I was definitely rooting for it. My pick here was another one I was really rooting for, and that's Welcome to Chechnya. I don't want to give too much away about this movie, but visual effects play an integral role in the film. The visual effects team, they use this technique that's called veiling in order to conceal and alter certain aspects of the people in the film, their faces, so that they weren't recognizable and their identities weren't given away. Definitely watch Welcome to Chechnya. It's a really, really impactful, powerful film of the year. And they did have a Guild nomination as well. So who should win? This was hard for me because I almost it kind of snapped and said the one and only Ivan, but I'm going to say Tenet. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, even though there aren't as many visual effects in Tenet as there are in other Nolan films, I do think the visual effects that we have are really impressive. What about you? Mm-hmm. I think that's, I guess, the only worry is the number of effects. Mm-hmm. But I do think Tenet should win. And then who do you think will win? I do think Tenet will win. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this is going to change or not. I'm not sure. We'll see with the guild. I think, say, like if Mulan wins because it had the most nominations, that mm-hmm. might stir things up. Mm-hmm. But I think as of now, Tenet's the front runner. Do you agree? Who do you think will win? So I also have Tenet. For me, I don't necessarily think this will change. I think the shakeup of the nominees in the category... Tenet and the one and only Ivan were like my two that I had out front. And I guess I could see them Mm -hmm. going for the one and only Ivan, but they do like Nolan films. They usually do go for bigger action epics in visual effects. The talking animals, I think, usually succeed in nominations, but don't do as well when it actually comes down to winning the category. I think that what is interesting, though, is that The One and Only Ivan is a Disney film, and Disney does well at the Oscars. Not necessarily in categories like visual effects, because we didn't see Soul here, but Mm -hmm. Nolan, this year, I think his response during COVID and his attitude about getting Tenet in theaters and Warner Brothers backing away from Tenet as a film might affect this year. Um, Ann Thompson wrote mm-hmm. a really good article about Tenet and about the screeners and Judas and the Black Messiah being Warner Brothers' bigger push because of the way that mm-hmm. Nolan reacted to everything. So definitely mm-hmm. check out that article. We can link it in our episode notes. But I wonder if that will affect Tenet's chances when it comes down to it. I'm still predicting it now with that caveat. So our next category is Best Cinematography. An interesting thing about this category that I read was that from 1939 to 1967, they actually had two separate categories, one for black and white films and one for color films. Since it just became one category for best cinematography, only two black and white films have won, Schindler's List and Roma, which was very recent. Mm -hmm. Cinematography also, I think when we talk about this category, we might throw around the term DP. Some people say DOP. 
That's also the cinematographer, but it's short for director of photography. And that is exactly what cinematographers do. They make what you're seeing in front of you happen and come to life Mm -hmm. and make a film a work of art, which I think is just an invaluable resource to a film crew. Why is this your favorite category? From the framing, you know, literally what you are seeing on the screen, how that is chosen. You have the lighting, the type of camera, the type of lens that they're using, you know, what kind of focus is the shot in? Mm -hmm. Is it a wide angle shot? Is it an extreme close up? How vibrant are the colors? Are they saturated? Are they desaturated? Is it black and white? You know, all of these decisions are so integral to the film. And that's why I think the DP is the second hand to the director. And they work together so closely. I mean, when you see a slate that shows you the scene number that they're on, it shows the director's name. And then below them is the DP's name. So they go hand in hand really with any film. And I think that's why I love it so much. You know, I think to what aspect of a film is most important. And to me, it's cinematography. Yes, the writing is really important too. Yes, the acting, everything comes together. But I think that's why I love this category so much. Mm -hmm. And I could go on and on. (laughs) Yeah. When we think about, you know, other members of the crew that you know by name, like very readily, I always do think of cinematographers too. Like you said, just all of the responsibility that they have, right? Like a DP essentially manages the entire camera and lighting crew. So our nominees this year are Sean Bobbitt for Judas and the Black Messiah, Eric Messerschmidt for Mank, Darius Walski for News of the World, Joshua James Richards for Nomadland, and Fadon Papa Michael for The Trial of the Chicago 7. To get started here, Sean Bobbitt, this is actually his first nomination, which was crazy, especially when I remembered that he was the DP for 12 Years a Slave which is a beautifully shot movie Mm -hmm. and a best picture winner. So it's really surprising that he didn't, I think, pick up a nomination there, but he's worked with Steve McQueen a lot. He also shot widows shame. So another Michael Fassbender movie. Yeah. Really anything McQueen does is really, really beautiful. And this movie actually didn't get an ASC guild nomination. So this is the American society of cinematographers but managed to get an Oscar nomination, which is great. I don't know how I called this one, but I do think it is the most unique out of all of the nominees. It has that kind of sepia tone to it, and I think that helps in taking you back to that time, and it does add some grit to it Mm -hmm. that I think is important to talking about the Black Panthers and everything that's happening to them. One thing that I read that was surprising to me was that they originally discussed shooting it in black and white, especially because of some of the archival footage they were watching. But Shaka King felt like it was way too on the nose to shoot this in black and Mm. white. So Sean Bobbitt wanted something that was a little bit more realistic to the period, which it feels really retro and has that 70s feel to it, which is definitely what we've talked about before with what Shaka King was going for in trying to make it, I think, kind of like a Lumet picture, like a 70s thriller. This reminds me of one movie recently that I didn't enjoy how they used the black and white, and that is The United States versus Billie Holiday. Oh, no. <laughs> Where they go back and forth between present day in color and using that documentary footage 
in black and white Mm -hmm. and they try to do it pretty often throughout the film and it's really displacing i think they could have done a better job with flow using it but you talking about them wanting to do this in black and white really made me think of that Mm -hmm. so glad they didn't (laughs) oh that movie oh let's not dull judas's shine by bringing that one up here (laughs) I also, you know, I think we talked about this before, too, but they shot on location in Cleveland, which as Ohioans is Mm -hmm. really exciting. And they also talk about how the rooms were this really bright green and how initially they thought it was way too much and like actually way too retro. But they kept seeing Mm -hmm. it in so many locations where they would shoot that when Sean Bobbitt was shooting, he felt like that green and how he chose to highlight the green especially in the scene where fred hampton has the rally after he's released and those Mm -hmm. bright green walls become this signifier of the black panthers and that's kind of what sean bobbitt decided he wanted to embrace too as a color choice which i thought was really Mm -hmm. neat so the interesting thing here is that while this didn't have an asc nomination the other four did and The place this one took is for Newton Thomas Siegel for Cherry, which is bizarre. Mm -hmm. Mostly because, like you had mentioned on a previous podcast, he was the DP for Defy Bloods, Mm -hmm. which I think isn't as explosive, I guess, Mm -hmm. if we're talking about Cherry's war film, but I think is more discreet in Defy Bloods, which I do like more. I think Cherry, to me, is just the oddest film of the bunch. Yes, like mm-hmm. Cherry is worse than The Trial of the Chicago 7 by miles. I don't want to like get too far into Cherry, but the way that it's shot, I think, is something that this branch usually does respond to. It had a similar look to like the way that Lawrence Schur shot Joker. It reminded me a lot of that, and mm-hmm. they ended up going for that okay. last year. And I think that nomination kind of reminded me of Waves in trying to be inventive and use Mm -hmm. maybe some odd choices for where to put the camera, say. (laughs) (laughs) We'll leave it at that. (laughs) Yes. But I am happy they chose Judas here over Cherry. Me too. Next up is Eric Messerschmidt for Mink. He has been a longtime collaborator with David Fincher. He's worked in the camera department, but as a DP, worked on Mindhunter. So he has a few projects in the works. This isn't listed on IMDb, and I'm still confused, but Amanda Seyfried leaked, I think, during one of the ceremonies. She said she was in the South with her family and with the DP from her new movie, Eric Messerschmidt. And I was like, whoa. What is that? Yeah, it's not listed anywhere, but I'm interested to see what this is. This is a great nomination. How do you feel about, obviously you love Mank, but how do you feel about the cinematography? I do really like it. It's not my favorite of the group. We'll get to that very soon. But I do love how Eric Messerschmidt was really inspired by the great Greg Toland, who, of course, was the cinematographer for Citizen Kane. He looked at his work on other films, too, like The Grapes of Wrath. So that's always fun to learn about. One thing I will say, I think this movie looks beautiful, but I was kind of surprised that Fincher didn't want to shoot it on film and that he went digital. Yeah. They use this really dynamic custom-made camera that had a black and white sensor but i guess i just when i think about old films i'm kind of surprised given fincher's need for and Mm -hmm. want for authenticity 
of not shooting it on film. I think it is really beautiful. And the way that they play with the light, especially in some scenes, and I'm sure were really, really challenging to do. Like, I think about the election night party and the scene when Louis B. Mayer is speaking to MGM about pay cuts, the way that those scenes are lit and it almost looks dusty and you have all these shadows, I think is really, really beautiful. So there's an interview that Eric had with Collider and Adam Chitwood asked about if shooting on film was ever a discussion point. And Eric said that we didn't feel that shooting on film was the way that we would best get there, meaning to look like an old film, because we had very specific ideas of very specific effects. And film is a fantastic medium, but it's not particularly good with trying to get very consistent expected results time after time. Which I guess in that mm-hmm. context makes sense. Yeah. Again, I think film would have added that grainy texture mm-hmm. that old films were shot in. I guess it makes sense and it's unsurprising, right? That I would be thinking about nostalgia and Fincher is thinking about precision, of course, right? Of how to get the perfect <laughs> look and feel. But it was my first question that I had immediately when I saw the trailer. In a different interview from the film stage... Eric Messerschmidt added that film is not a medium that offers that kind of precision. It's a wonderful medium to work in, but it requires a certain acceptance of the uncertainty of the photochemical process. I don't think David Fincher is someone who accepts much of anything he can't control. There's our answer. (laughs) (laughs) So our next nominee here is Darius Wolski for News of the Worlds. And he's a frequent Ridley Scott collaborator. He shot The Martian, and he's currently shooting The Last Duel and the Mm. much-awaited House of Gucci. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think of the cinematography for News of the World? I think it's really beautiful. It's another big nature film, and Mm -hmm. I think it's capturing of the desert landscape, which is so important to the film, is really stunning. So... I think this being here was expected, and and it's really vibrant. So I think it's an easy movie to watch. It's easy on the eyes. Definitely. And I read that Wolski wanted to keep it really simple, so he actually used handheld for most of it, which I thought was interesting. And he watched a lot of Westerns to prepare for the shoot, so he watched a lot of movies by John Ford. It's a really beautiful film and a good nominee. Next up is Joshua James Richards for Nomadland. He also earned an ASC nomination at the Guild and Chloe Zhao's romantic and business partner. His films are just fascinating. So he's worked on all of Chloe's films, and then he also shot God's Own Country, which is really beautiful. He's done a few others as well, but the writer absolutely blew me away Mm -hmm. yes for the story but i would say mostly because of the cinematography it's just breathtaking Mm -hmm. in every scene and he does a lot of what they do here in nomadland too of shots of nature and these beautiful sunsets and lighting is such an important component to their shots again just an incredibly beautiful film and They shoot Francis and all of the characters so well. Mm -hmm. And I think they excel at these close-up shots of staying on her face and the viewer being able to see her emotions and really how she's thinking. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. And 
this to me is the clear front runner has been, I think, all season. I think they've won all of the awards so far and I think really deserving. What else do you have to say about Nomadland? Oh, so much, but I will keep it brief. <laughs> I This is my favorite of the nominees here. Mm-hmm. And Chloe has called Joshua James Richards a very intuitive camera operator in interviews. And I think that you can see that very clearly. A fun mm-hmm. piece of cinematography trivia is that Joshua James Richards uses Steadicam. Which, if you don't know what Steadicam is, it was first used in Bound for Glory, which was an Oscar nominee. And I think most people would know Steadicam from The Shining. So when Danny is riding on the big wheel, it's that camera Mm -hmm. that follows him that works so well in that film, but works really well in Nomadland, too. So when Fern is walking Mm -hmm. and we get those beautiful shots of her walking through the RV park, through the desert that steady cam. And I think that that's just so beautiful and it's the perfect touch there. I'm sad that he's not shooting the Eternals. I mean, I understand like why he didn't get the Marvel job, but I feel that their work is just it's perfect for each other. Yeah. And I'm scared for what a Chloe movie will look like without him shooting it. I mean, I trust her obviously, but maybe because it's a space movie it'll be fine. Marvel, but I I think he just has a really keen eye for capturing the beauty of rural America. Oh, really quickly, another thing, since we talked about digital and film, he kind of lashed out at Quentin Tarantino, which I thought was really interesting (laughs) because, I mean, kind of cool. But Tarantino said that digital was ruining cinema and that everything Mm -hmm. should be shot on film. And Joshua James Richards is like, absolutely not. Digital is how people make things cheaply and how we made our films. We would never have been able to do them on film. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was an interesting little tidbit. Yeah, it's true. So our last nominee here is The Trial of the Chicago 7, which was shot by Fidan Papa Michael. It did earn an ASC Guild nomination. He is the only DP of the group who has a previous Oscar nomination. He was nominated for Nebraska, and he also shot... Ford v. Ferrari last year, which I unapologetically really like. (laughs) (laughs) Even though it's a dad movie, I did really like it. Yeah, it was a good movie. And trial, trial, trial. I think I would have enjoyed seeing this in production design instead of cinematography. Like, this is a veteran cinematographer. While we don't love the movie, I think... So one thing I did read was how he played with light. So he used a combination of hard light and direct beams when he was shooting the trial sequences. So he mm-hmm. wanted to convey this like sense of hope. He wanted to use the light in ways to convey these tones. And then at the end, he says that he wanted to like shoot them with this. This is going to make you kind of gag or really anyone who hates this movie because it's just kind of like exactly like Sorkin, Saccharin quote but he said i felt he should be bathed in light engulfed in this heroic angelic light to convey a sense of truth and show there was freedom in his being able to express what mattered to them all so much talking of course about tom hayden reading the names at the end which is tonally what sorkin was going for but using the Mm -hmm. light in that way i think is is interesting when you think about cinematography Mm -hmm. An interesting thing that he talks about in an interview also with Collider is, and this is something that maybe I didn't 
think of as much coming from a cinematographer, but he said Aaron's scripts, because they're so long, that was like his biggest challenge of dealing with this screenplay in particular, which was around 170 pages. And then Molly's game previously was 200 pages. So these are like really long scripts Mm -hmm. and dealing with the dialogue and keeping up with everything that's happening, but also really focusing on the characters like in this film during the trial in the courtroom scenes, not doing a ton with the camera, but still, like you said, spotlighting certain characters and their dialogue. So what would your write-in vote be? So my write-in vote would be Caitlin Arismendi for Swallow. You've seen Swallow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I liked it too. It's very unique, really unsettling. But what I noticed about it was the way that it was shot. It uses these really bright pinks, bright blues. It really, like I said, it conveys this deeply unsettling tone while also I think blending with this style that's very like Mad Men period housewife even though I think the time period when you're watching the film is pretty ambiguous in a way that reminded me of It Follows which I also really Mm -hmm. love so I also wanted to spotlight a woman here in this category because only one woman has ever been nominated in Best Cinematography Rachel Morrison for Mudbound. So I think that the work in Swallow is definitely impressive and something I wanted to highlight Mm -hmm. here. And Swallow Mm -hmm. was actually nominated with the Guild in the Spotlight category. What about you? So I would nominate Gunda, which was shortlisted in the Documentary Feature category. The director, Viktor Kosakowski, was also one of the DPs along with Eagle Larson and... Did you end up seeing Gunda? Yeah, I actually really okay. liked it. <laughs> I uh, thought it was beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing how close they get to these animals mm-hmm. and they're not perturbed by the camera, mm-hmm. which is crazy. And the black and white does wonders that I didn't imagine mm-hmm. it ever could. The textures and the depth in these shots are fascinating. And being able to see these animals in their habitat. I think that's why it's so impressive. But even just inside the barn where the film starts, where the pigs are born and then you see them grow, the lighting in there is Mm -hmm. just so magical. And there's no music. It's all just natural diegetic sounds. This also had an ASC documentary category nomination. So it was liked among guild members. It's fascinating. I would highly recommend this. This is distributed by Neon. I don't know if it's on their website yet or in theaters or streaming, but this is a great odd film to Mm -hmm. watch. Yeah, I think we'll talk about it again when we talk about documentary very soon. And then who do you think should win? This is easy for me. I really think Nomadland should win. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Same here. Nomadland. It's the most beautiful film in the group of these nominees mm-hmm. and really doesn't work without Joshua James Richards's eye here. And who do you think will win? So I think at the beginning of the season, people were speculating that Eric Messerschmidt would win for Mank, you know, seeing the black and white stills. Mm-hmm. But I think this is Nomadlands to lose. I think it's a clear front runner. What about you? Yeah, I agree. It's the most stunning. Like I said before, it's been winning a lot through the season and with critics. So I think Nomadland will win. 
And then our last category for the day, best film editing. In looking at the history, we had a really bad win, maybe the worst in a long time, a couple <laughs> years ago with Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh and my God. Ooh. That one scene that really sticks out. <laughs> that clip that, <laughs> that was going went viral on Twitter. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the other hand, we've had some really great wins. I think one of my favorites is Whiplash. One thing I have to point out with editing, she's one of my favorite people in the film industry ever. Martin Scorsese's longtime editor, Thelma Schoonmaker, is our record holder for winners. She's won three times for <laughs> Raging Bull, The Aviator, and The Departed. So we have to honor her a little here, too. And I have to say, I feel like if The Irishman would have come out this year, I feel like she would have won her fourth. But that's also maybe me just being hopeful (laughs) (laughs) and she is working on his next feature killers of the flower moon so maybe she'll win her fourth award there because we know how big that movie is my god how monumental this film is going to be i can't wait for that fingers crossed for number four (laughs) so best cinematography is maybe a little less of an indicator but film editing is one of the bigger predictors for best picture Yeah, so I think in order to win Best Picture, right, you need an editing nomination in most cases. Like, it pretty much has to happen. But I think as far as being a good predictor of what will win Best Picture, the last time the editing winner and the Best Picture winner matched was Argo in 2012. So it's been a while. I would say, come Oscar night, if you see something, win editing that... You're like, oh no, like that means it's going to win Best Picture. Not necessarily. It's not the best predictor there, but we'll get to it maybe this year. It could be the year where it does line up. So the nominees here are The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Starting out with The Father, they didn't have an American Cinema Editors Guild nomination. This is Yorgos Lamprinos' first nomination. And he edited the 2013-nominated live-action short just before losing everything. What did you think of The Father's editing? I really love The Father's editing. I think that how they use different scenes and how they shift the point of view and everything with you know when to repeat certain lines of dialogue, I think it really... The, the editing works because you do feel like you're actually in Anthony's head. And mm-hmm. that was what made the film so harrowing for me was that feeling of being in his head. But also, I like the way that they use the pacing in the film. I think it's a great length. And I think it knows like when to drag, when to pick up. So I really mm-hmm. love the editing in The Father. And I'm happy that it made its way in without a Guild nomination. What about you? This to me is my favorite play adaptation of the year. Mm-hmm. And I think why I loved the editing here so much is because it feels so fluid. While the editing could feel more disjointed as if you, the viewer, were Anthony who is experiencing this dementia and feeling out of place. I like how it flows really well and that the changes in the design are so minute. And I think the editing plays into that really well. So our next nominee that we have is Nomadland, which did receive a Guild nomination. And it was edited by Chloe Zhao herself. We love. Yes. 
love. She edited her first feature, Songs My Brother Taught Me, as well. And how did you feel about the editing of Nomadland? Again, it's really fluid, and I think all of her editing work is really telling. It plays into this naturalistic sense that her films are. Mm -hmm. There's nothing really showy. I think it's done really well. Yeah, me too. And I do want to point out, so I read in an IndieWire article that she joins a fantastic group of directors who've also edited their own movies. Alfonso Cuaron also edited Gravity. James Cameron edited Titanic, which is crazy. I did not know that. David Lean edited A Passage to India. The Coen Brothers edited No Country for Old Men and Fargo. It's an exclusive group, and it's really cool that she adds her name to this list of greats. The next nominee is Promising Young Woman, who has a Guild nomination for Comedy Feature. This is Frederick Thorval's first nomination. He's edited a lot of different genres, mostly action films like Peppermint and Taken. And Nick, he edited one of your favorite, favorite in quotes here, horror movies, Sinister. (laughs) (laughs) Eek. Yeah, I guess an editing heavy film. Not a big fan of Sinister. (laughs) But interesting that he's done these action and horror films and now is doing this dark comedy Mm -hmm. in Promising Young Woman. How do you feel about the editing here? So I watched his Gold Derby interview with friend of the pod, Kevin Jacobson. And one thing that he mentioned that really made sense to me was that Emerald Fennell wanted to work with him because he had worked in so many different genres and she wanted to play with so many different genres in her films and wanted to Mm -hmm. subvert expectations. And Hmm. he said he really likes to cut different types of films. So it was a really fun project for him. Hmm. So I think if you do want to play with a lot of tones in your movie, like she does in this one, I think that it's a good fit. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think it is supposed to play kind of like a horror movie. So that does make a lot of sense. I think this is fun here because it plays a lot with the music that's happening. Mm -hmm. And I think in certain scenes definitely plays a big part in what's happening, especially at the end Mm -hmm. and really the twists throughout the movie. I think so too. And I think also, so this spot here being the Ace Comedy nom, it reminds me last year of Jojo Rabbit. So we've talked about that before, but a lot of times... We'll have at least one nominee be from that comedy category at the guilds. So I think Mm -hmm. that makes sense for this year. Our next nominee is Sound of Metal, which also received a guild nomination. And Sound of Metal was edited by Mikkel E.G. Nielsen. He's never been nominated before, but he did edit Beasts of No Nation and recently Robin Wright's directorial debut, Land. (laughs) What did you think of the editing for Sound of Metal? I think what's most impressive about the editing here is that it really works alongside the sound Mm -hmm. in the movie, which we talked about on the last Contenders episode. And I think it's a really integral part in how we see and hear Ruben's world. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really well done. Did you like the editing in Sound of Metal? I did really like the editing. I think what really works is that an editor for this movie would need to figure out like, okay, these are the scenes where we're not going to have sound. And these are the scenes when we are going to have sound. And determining the order and the pacing of that, I think, would be really challenging. Mm-hmm. And I think it works really, really beautifully. Yeah, pacing is so important to the editor's job. Mm-hmm. And then also with continuity throughout the film. Mm-hmm. So while they're working on a certain scene or shot, looking 
at it in terms of the entire movie too, which mm-hmm. I think is a really cool introspective but complete picture that they have to have at all times. Okay, so our last nominee is The Trial of the Chicago 7. Ellen Baumgarten was previously nominated for American Hustle, and he also edited Molly's Game, Joy, and the very recent Charlie's Angels reboot with Kristen Stewart. (laughs) What do you think of Trial's editing? It's what this branch usually goes for, I think. It is flashier editing. I think it works in keeping your attention and keeping the film moving. I think that long intro where you have the footage cut in and you're meeting the different characters who are going to be central to the story, mm-hmm. that is like the perfect encapsulation of this film's editing. It is more obvious, I would say, but definitely keeps mm-hmm. it entertaining. What about you? I like the first six minutes where it's like this big montage. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best use of its editing but yes i think this is where there is showy editing Mm -hmm. and you do notice it you're going in between time periods and then also cutting between different shots of the group and i think that's partly because there are so many characters and i think the flow there's definitely more editing but i think the flow is still good and i think this is pretty typical for an aaron sorkin film Yeah. At the beginning when they're like finishing each other's sentences, I was like, okay, here we are. Sorkin. Yeah, that was a bit much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So who would your write-in vote be? My write-in vote would actually be the ace comedy nominee, Palm Springs, which I know is one of your favorites and a favorite of ours on this pod. But I think comedy is just really hard to edit. Like, the build-up to the joke really matters, the timing, the pauses, all of that really matters. But then in addition, having a movie that's structure is based on repetitions, like, that is, that's really challenging, I think, to edit and to Mm -hmm. pull that off. And I read through No Film School, they did an interview with Matthew Friedman, who's the editor, and... He specifically said that he wanted the repetitions to be soul-crushing to the characters, not to the audience, so keeping them still light Mm -hmm. in humor. But um, he also always used different performances in the repetitions, so it didn't feel repetitive to the audience, which I Mm. thought was really cool. What about you? So I would, again, nominate Tenet. And I think this speaks to the action sequences working in forward and reverse time using some of these similar images of the turnstiles Mm -hmm. and some of the boat sequences. And again, the action sequence at the end with buildings being blown up and rebuilt. I think it's captured really well. You're stimulated, but it's not beating you across the head with it. And you're not too confused by it. I think you're more confused by the story and not with how it's coming together Mm -hmm. editing wise. Yeah. And I like this pick too, because Jennifer Lame, who's the editor on the movie, she's definitely someone to watch. She edited Marriage Story. She edited Hereditary. So she has tons of great projects that we really like. So I'm (laughs) excited to see what she does next. She was an additional editor on Judas and the Black Messiah. It's kind of cool. That is cool. So who do you think should win? I think Sound of Metal should win. Again, I think it goes hand in hand with the sound. And there are two scenes in particular that I really fell in love with when I rewatched this movie. 
there was the community montage where Ruben's being integrated into this home where he's staying and learning being deaf. And then just longer takes throughout the movie where you get to see Ruben's internal conflict. So it's really working between the two. Who do you think should win? So I love Sound of Metal. I think that's a great pick. I would actually pick The Father. I think that the editing in The Father is just really smart. I read in Deadline that when the editor of The Father first read the script, he envisioned it as a horror movie. And I feel like that editing, you can tell because there are some great horror films use editing that's very similar where it's not flashy. Instead, Mm -hmm. it works because the pacing is so precise. And like I talked about before, too, and very similar to Sound of Metal, the editing gets you in the character's head and in their POV. And that is why the film really works for me. And then who do you think will win? I think The Trial of the Chicago 7 will win. It has the snazzy, flashy editing that people like and typically go for in a similar way that they did with Bohemian Rhapsody. But where my concern lies is that it's very rare that films just win best editing because it's such a big prize. So for that to be its only win would be very rare. Sound of Metal could definitely happen. But at this time, I'm predicting The Trial of the Chicago 7. What about you? So I'm going to predict Sound here. I do think it's between the two, between Sound and Trial. In looking at films that have won historically, the winners seem to be more action-heavy. So we have Dunkirk, Hacksaw Ridge, Mad Max Fury Road, Gravity, Argo, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. So all of those hit that mark. Also Ford versus Ferrari, and then Bohemian Rhapsody, Whiplash. So I think, again, some that really focus on sound Mm -hmm. and in incorporating sound with the editing. So I think both of these do that. Trial does have some action sequences or fight scenes. And then sound, we've talked about this a lot, really uses sound or the absence of sound. And I think going in between those, the film does really well. I definitely prefer Sound of Metal, but I do worry that it's, you know, not as action-packed as the riots, for example, in The Trial of the Chicago 7. And it's Mm -hmm. a little bit more subtle in this category. They don't love subtlety. Um, Even Whiplash, if we think about that one, which had the sound editing crossover, was still very Mm -hmm. action-packed, right? You had a car accident. You had very flashy editing touches in it. But that being mm-hmm. said, there is a strong correlation between sound winners and editing winners. So definitely keep an eye on that. Yeah, I think this will come down to what the guild chooses, which is one of the last ceremonies that we get before the Oscars. So the American Cinema Editors ceremony is on April 17th. Of the other categories and their ceremony dates, we have the Set Decorators Society of America happening on March 31st, the Visual Effects Society on April 6th, the Art Directors Guild on April 10th, and then the American Society of Cinematographers on April 18th. So I think overall, these are sometimes some big predictors for Best Picture, and I think these are some of the more exciting technical awards. Overall, this is a really exciting group of nominees, some that are more surprising, some that were expected, but I think a great group of movies to talk about today. 
think it's always fun to talk about Tenet, and we really didn't know how much we would talk about Tenet this Oscar season. (laughs) (laughs) I really didn't, so I'm happy that we're finally giving it its due. (laughs) (laughs) On the next episode in our Oscar Contender series, we'll be talking about five additional categories. We'll be covering all three of the shorts categories, Best Animated Short, Best Live Action Short, Best Documentary Short, and we'll also be talking about Best Documentary and Best International Feature. So thank you all for listening. We will see you next week. Stay safe and wear your masks. Thanks everyone for listening. Stay safe and wear your masks. Bye.